seated. Those of you joining us online, we're so glad that you are. We have two services on Sunday morning, the first of which is the Bible prophecy update that we do weekly. And second service is the teaching, a verse by verse study through the Word of God. We're currently in 1 John, the second chapter. And um, today uh, I've titled the sermon, Why Loving the World Won't End Well for You. Um, I know you're looking at me right now, so I'm looking down. There's a reason for this, and that reason is that both today and, Lord willing, next week, our verse-by-verse study through 1 John will be in concert with the prophecy update. And here's why. The Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, hits on two matters of profound prophetic importance concerning the last hour, the last hour. First, he addresses the deadly dangers of Christians loving the world and the things of the world, which is what we're going to look at today. Then second, he explains how we can know it's the last hour by virtue of the coming of the Antichrist, in addition to an Antichrist spirit. And that's, Lord willing, what we're going to look at next week. For those of you joining us by way of YouTube or Facebook, we want to encourage you to go directly to the website. Uh, There you will find the uncensored and uninterrupted entirety of today's update. By the way, the uh, second service teaching will be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Uh, Hawaii time. I chose this title for the prophecy update. You ready for it? You already see it. Unsubscribe, unfollow, and unfriend the world. Okay? Let's just close in prayer. Just, we'll go home and, and we'll do that. Um, This for several reasons, chief of which is the world is not our friend, nor is the world our home. And if you haven't noticed, we as believers in and followers of Jesus have long overstayed our welcome in this world, not our home. Not only is the world not our friend, nor our home, truth be made known, the world does not love you. In fact, the world hates you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. John's Gospel, chapter 17. This is actually the Lord's Prayer. I know that we affectionately refer to the Lord's Prayer as what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. That's really technically our prayer. 
But in John 17, we have the Lord's prayer. He's praying for us. And listen to what he says in this prayer, beginning in verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, speaking of us, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Well, I, I would be grossly remiss if I didn't read a verse in James. I don't want to. And actually, you know this verse, and you don't want me to, but I have to. James 4.4, 4. you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You got to love James. I mean, he just tells it like it is. And he's right. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God's. And it goes both ways. Conversely, if you're a friend of God, then you're an enemy of the world. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 is our text today. I'm not going to expound on it, but I do want to reference it. John writes, by the Spirit, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, lusts of the flesh, the lusts of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Okay. Why am I starting out this way? Because there's a powerful prophetic principle that's here, not so easily seen at first read. And if you'll allow me to, I'll explain. I'm going to frame it in a question. If the world isn't my friend, and it's not, and the world hates me, and it does, then why do I still send a friend request to the world again? Here's a, another part to that question. Wouldn't it stand to reason that the evil in the world 
and the hatred from the world would have the much needed effect of my unfriending of the world. I think of the classic and timeless hymns of old, like, Take the World, But Give Me Jesus by Fanny Crosby. The words so apropos, Take the World, But Give Me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but His love abides forever through eternal years the same. Another hymn so timeless and glorious is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus by Helen Lemmel. The chorus so marvelous. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I realize I'm waxing somewhat nostalgic today, <laughs> but I do so only to echo words from those who long for their home in heaven while here on earth. Do you realize that there's a crown of righteousness for those who not only have finished the race, but also for those of us that love and long for Christ's appearing in the rapture? Of course, I'm referring to the Apostle Paul in his parting words to Timothy, knowing his time in this world was coming to an end, Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Sadly, many today are too tethered to this world and the things of this world which in turn has severed their longing for heaven. Conversely, it's only those who have severed their attachments and attractions to this world that are instead tethered to heaven. This one or the other. I suppose the question becomes one of how do we sever and tether, as it were, in the sense of how do we untether ourselves from this world and the things of this world, which are severing us from the things of heaven? And for that answer, we need look no further than to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, you know this well. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's why, verse 21. Listen very carefully. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice he doesn't say it the other way around. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. No. Where's your heart? Well, wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart is. Well, then that means that if your treasure is tethered to earth, then that's where your heart is, because so too will your heart be tethered to this world. But if you've laid up for yourselves treasures in heaven, then that's where your heart is going to be. So we've severed that which tethers us to this world and the things of this world, because our treasure is up there, not down here. Here's where I'm going with this. Unless and until we accept the fact that the world is a bad investment, we won't transfer our investments into eternity. The problem is, and maybe the explanation is, that many still hold out hope for this world to turn around, which is why they're keeping their investments down here. Their hearts are still in this world, vis-a-vis -vis their hope for this world. Thus, what they've treasured has tethered them to this world. Are we okay? Let me hasten to say that this is not to say that those who are building their careers, their houses, their families, or even furthering their education are living for this world or love this world. I think this is very unfortunate. I think we do err greatly. Many have bought into this notion that what we do here on earth will be inconsequential in heaven. That is not true. Here's what that sounds like, and perhaps you've heard it, maybe even said it. Well, I'm not in full-time ministry. That is a misnomer. There's no such thing as full-time ministry, part-time ministry. It's lifetime ministry. Well, easy for you to say, Pastor. You're a pastor. I'm not a pastor, therefore I must just be laying up for myself treasures here on earth. May I share with you a couple of scriptures that speak to how one's occupation on earth matters in heaven? Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know 
you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That job that you're in, that God has placed you in, you're working for Him. You're serving Him. You're going to be rewarded by Him. Yeah, but I'm not a pastor. Can I just say this in love? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say it. I think you already know what I was going to say, and I'm not going to say it because I don't think it would please the Lord. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 23, we have what's affectionately referred to as the parable of the talents. This parable is supremely about the kingdom of heaven being likened to a master who rewards his faithful servants when he returns. And when he does, listen to what he says, well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Wait, what? Uh, is Jesus saying and teaching by way of this parable that our reward in heaven will be predicated on what we did here on earth? Yes. Now, I'm keenly aware, again, one might argue that their rewards were for what they did for the kingdom of heaven in the sacred and not the secular. That's another misnomer. Regrettably, we have delineated between the sacred and the secular. That's not in here. I don't see that distinction in here, do you? There is no division between the secular and the sacred. That has been manufactured by man, not the Lord. And it's created a, a chasm between the clergy and the laity. Hang in there with me. This is wrong, and for no less than two reasons. The first of which is that doing so does not comport with the Genesis account of work on earth being blessed before the fall. Do you realize that? What do you, what do you mean? Oh, before sin entered the world, work was a blessing. I know this is foreign to us in our day, because now the world has fallen. And so too is our work in a fallen world. But do you realize that before the fall, work was blessed? God commissioned and called and commanded them to work. That's the first reason. Second, 
And I want you to hear me out on this, please. I would just ask that you kindly listen to what I'm about to say. And I want to frame it in another question. How do you know that God didn't uniquely position you and gift you for that line of work that you're in? to reach people that would not otherwise be reached. Moreover, how do you know that God didn't also uniquely position you and gift you for that line of work here on earth to prepare and perfect you for heaven? What if I told you that your work in heaven will have a direct correlation to your work on earth. God did not create us just for time down here on earth. Rather, He created us for eternity with Him up there in heaven. And like Adam and Eve, whose work was to steward God's creation on earth, so too will our work be to steward God's creation in heaven. Does that jam in your gears? I'm sorry, crashing your hard drive? Here's the truth. God created us to work on earth which is why we will have work to do in heaven. Now I know what you're thinking, because again, I can read minds. <laughs> that sounds very unappealing, Pastor, with all due respect. I do not like my job. Well, your job in heaven will be perfectly fulfilling no matter your occupation. Well, wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a physician. There's not going to be any sick people in heaven. I'm out of a job. Well, welcome to my world. I'm a pastor. There won't be any need for, I'm out of a job too. I'm okay with that, just so you know. So, pastor, please, can you just clear this up for me, because I'm really kind of struggling with this idea of I'm going to be working in heaven. First of all, uh, that doesn't sound like heaven. That sounds like the other place. It's not. No, the, the work that we're going to do for all eternity will be uniquely suited and fitted to us. I'm really excited to see what God's going to, you know, assign me. Actually, I, I shouldn't be that excited because pastors are judged by a stricter standard. He might say, here, just uh, stand over there for now. We'll figure something out for you. I think of young people who are just starting out in life, right? And here we are. Those of you that are close in proximity to my age, and we're like, Lord, come quickly. Oh, Maranatha. They're like, no, I want to get my degree. I want to start my business. I want to start my family. I want to live my life. Well, why bother then? 
And this is another misnomer. Boy, we got a lot of misnomers today that we need to clear up, don't we? The misnomer is, is that, hey, what you do down here, it doesn't matter. The Lord's coming back. Just, just stop doing it. Just, you don't need to go to, no, yes, you do. Why? Am I going to continue my education in heaven? Oh, going to be way more better than that. See, it's not in vain. God is preparing you for that which He's preparing for you in that place that He said He went to His Father's house to prepare for you. And it's uniquely suited to how He made you and wired you. You know, some of you, and you know who you are, and I won't look at anyone now. I'll just look down because I don't want anybody to think, he's talking about me again. <laughs> you know, there's a, you, you have this desire in your heart to do something, and you're not able to do it. Oh, you're, you're going to get to do it. I just, I'm never happier than when I'm doing, and you fill in the blank. That's what you're going to be doing in heaven. And it's going to be perfect. And it's going to be fulfilling. And it's going to be for all of eternity. So here's the bottom line. It's not so much a matter of our occupation here in this world. It's more a matter of whether or not our hearts are here in this world. Enter the fascinating record in Exodus of how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, which, by the way, Egypt is a type of the world in Scripture. When I say fascinating, I mean what God had brought about before He got them out. Namely, God got Egypt out of them, then got them out of Egypt. How did He get Egypt out of them to get them out of Egypt? Oh, ten plagues. That'll do it. I'm ready to go after the first one. And these ten plagues, listen, hit at the heart of the treasured gods in Egypt. Every single one of them. Each one of the 10 plagues, I'm going to use this word for lack of a better one, dismantled, even destroyed every single thing that they trusted in, looked to, were tethered to. All of these idolatrous false gods and these gods and goddesses were worshiped as such. They were gods of prosperity, posterity, productivity, fertility, science, and medicine. Don't look at me like that. And then what does God do? Well, He's going to stretch out His hand against Egypt, in Egypt, to Egypt, for Egypt, to know that He was the Lord God, Exodus 7, 5. 
And the Egyptians world will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. May I humbly suggest that this is in fact what God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is doing today. May I also humbly suggest that God is using the evil of this, the last hour, to disenchant us and disenfranchise us from this lost and dying world. He's allowing all that is happening in the world today so that we'll want to leave. Because wouldn't you agree that if things, or maybe better said, when things are going well, hey, no worry, no worry. It's all good. But boy, let adversity strike. Lord, come quickly, Jesus. Oh, Maranatha. Don't you think God knows that? Wasn't that the problem with the Egyptians? They had grown a little bit too comfortable, even though in slavery, that's all they knew. So God's like, well, I'm going to take them out, but I got to do some things so that they'll want to be taken out. Fast forward to today. I'm going to have to do some things in the Egypt of this world so that my people will long for me to take them out of this world. This is what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time and the do so. We're going to go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. So what follows is another chart I put together. I like charts. I don't know what it is. Maybe that's what it is when I get to heaven. I'm going to, that's my job. I'm going to, he's going to say, you could just make some charts. Oh, really? I love making charts. I know that's why I'm going to have you. Anyway, I digress. So I put together another chart. I, for me, it, it kind of uh, puts in order and organizes things because, you know, sometimes in this brain, <laughs> and I know they have clinical terms for this, you know, things are just not quite in order. There's disorder. So when I, when I order things and organize things, it helps. That's, that's too much probably, right? Okay. Well, that's my story and I'm sticking with this. So whether you like it or not, I like charts. So I put together another chart. This time listing with specificity that which God is now doing to get the Egypt of the world out of us before He comes to get us out of the Egypt of the world. I think about, and we're in Ezekiel, the Jews that were in captivity in Babylon. 
And when the time came, the 70 years was fulfilled and they could return. They didn't want to. They didn't want to come out. They had gotten too comfortable, friendly. I think about Lot. It's chilling, if I can say it that way. Um, no fire, no brimstone could come down until Lot and his family were taken out. That's a picture, by the way, of a pre-tribulation rapture, one of many. But the reluctance on Lot's part is evidenced by the detail in the narrative where we're told that the angel actually had to grab him by the hand and pull him out. He didn't want to go. His wife didn't want to go. And you know what happened to her? Didn't end well for her. I wonder, and, and maybe this is just a, Maybe the Holy Spirit needs to search all of our hearts, my, my, mine included, mine especially. Is there a reluctance? Is there something here that has my heart in this world that would create said hesitancy to be taken out of this world? Is there something that is tethering me to the world that is the explanation for my reluctance to want to leave this world? By way of a preface, this chart is very similar to last week's prophetic prayer chart, with the exception of one important difference. And that difference is this chart points to and points out the things we have trusted and treasured here on earth at the expense of heaven. So again, I will just say, and I include myself in this, let's allow the Holy Spirit, as only He can, to search our hearts in this regard. One more thing before we jump in. As we go through this, Please take note of the common denominator with everything on this chart. What you'll see is that all five that are listed here have been hit with a plague, if you will, commencing in late 2019 and early 2020. The plague is the COVID-19 vaccine, so-called. Wait, you mean COVID-19 was a plague? No, 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 no. The vaccine was not manufactured for COVID. COVID was manufactured for the vaccine, the vaccine, so-called. And it is this that has struck every arena in life that the world has trusted in. We'll examine five. Healthcare, the financial system, the political system, the environment, and last but not least, our lives in this world. 
God is dismantling all of the above that's held on so tightly to in this world in order that we would let go of this world and actually want Him to take us out of this world. I'll take it a step further before we jump in. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the best thing that ever happened was what we refer to as COVID-19. People have come to Christ as a result of COVID-19 that would not have otherwise come to Christ. And Christians walking with Christ because of this are now walking with the Lord in love with the Lord on fire for the Lord like never before, had it not been for this. So let's go through this chart. I've organized all five of them into three columns, starting with that which is treasured on earth and has tethered us to earth. Then second, that which can be instead transferred to heaven and as such treasured in heaven, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And then third, I have scriptural references that speak to each one. Let's start with the first one, science. Trust the science. Sorry, I just woke somebody up. I, <laughs> that was kind of mean. Trust the science, huh? Wow. No, thank you. How about I trust the God of science? In Egypt, they had the God of science. They had the God of medicine. They worshiped these gods. And not much has changed in our day. The names have changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> Uh, the world has made science a God. The world has made modern medicine a God. No, He's the God of medicine. He's the God of science. So there's a transfer that needs to take place here. Instead of trusting the science, trust the God of science. He's the great physician, the God who heals. Oh, a couple Thursday nights ago, we had Wally Amara share with us about medical missions in Nepal. Uh, no physician there, but the great physician was there. Uh, imagine, shocking. God healed him. Now, am I saying we don't take advantage of the advances in modern medicine? Absolutely not. The problem isn't that. The problem is we've made them a God. We, we see them as a God, and we trust in them instead of God. He's the God who heals. He's the healer. He's the great physician. 
And I believe with all my heart that there are so many times where God just says, I want to heal you. I just want to heal you. Because I'm the God who heals. Number two, money. Ooh, got to say it just like that too. Money. Oh, the root of all evil. No, it's not. One of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture, it's not money, it's the love of money. Wealth, prosperity, trusting and relying on our resources. And so we put our trust in the economy. How's that working out for you? So God's like, oh, I see that you are trusting in this. Your treasure is in this. Your heart is in this. Watch this. I'm going to dismantle it. How about that? Then what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to have to trust God. Wow. Wow. You know, after all that's happened, I don't trust the healthcare industry at all. <laughs> so what am I going to do? Well, I've got to transfer that trust that I once had, by the way. I'm going to have to trust God now. Same thing with the economy. I can't trust the economy. I mean, you don't have to be an economist to know what's going down with the economy. You know what's going down with the economy? The economy's going down. You know that, right? By design, by the way. So what are we as Christians going to do? We're going to trust Him. If we're to have any hope of getting the world out of our hearts, we must transfer our treasures, because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. It cannot be both. It's either God or money. You cannot serve both. Jesus didn't say it would be a good idea if you didn't, didn't serve both. You shouldn't serve both. No, you cannot. No can. <laughs> it's one or the other. Interesting is it's even stronger than that. You're going to love the one and hate the other. How's that? God or mammon. So we're tethered to what we have. And by the way, it's not what you have. It's does what you have have you. Let me say that again. It matters not. How much money you have in the bank? Does that money you have in the bank have you? Does it have your heart? Well, uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but number three, I, I, I won't expound too much. I'm not in the mood again this week on this one, but I'll just, I got I to gotta address it. We have elevated political leaders and put our trust in a conservative government, giving us a false hope 
which in turn has tethered us to this world. You know what our only hope is? It's in the just government of peace with the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ, which will be upon His shoulder with no end. His government, His rule, His reign. I said I wouldn't expound on it, but I do want to say one more thing on this. I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say it. And please hear my heart. I do not mean this to be mean or derogatory. But if you're still holding out hope for getting your man in office to turn this thing around, I feel sorry for you. That's a false hope. It will never happen. It will never happen. Number four, <laughs> the environmental movement. This, this is a God, you know. Mother Earth, Gaia, thank you. The New Age God of nature. Now the transfer here is sort of a play on words from Romans 1.25, which is this. Exchange the lie for truth and worship the Creator instead of the creation. That's Romans 1. I want to spend the rest of our time on this last one, because I think this is the heart of the matter. It's a matter of the heart. <laughs> perhaps in some ways the most important of all, in the sense that it has to do with our lives in this world, specific to loving our lives and living our lives for ourselves. If you were to ask me what I thought COVID-19 and the ensuing so-called vaccine impacted the most, this would have to be it. Does this make sense to you that we maybe love our lives in this world, and when something like this happens, then we're more willing to let go of our lives in this world? Um, let me say it this way. God is allowing this to happen in order that we would be more willing to lose our lives in this world, to ready us for when Jesus takes us out of the world. This is the paradox of paradoxes. You want to live, die. Die to self, live for Christ. The way up is the way down. So, um, We've gotten a little bit too comfortable. It's been said, God comforts the afflicted, but so too does God afflict the comfortable. 
Uh, I'll just use myself, lest I make anybody feel uncomfortable. Of course, I make you feel uncomfortable every week, but it's like God saying, J.D., I, uh, I don't get too comfortable down there. And th this can, I mean, for someone like me, I mean, God's blessed this ministry exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could have ever thought or imagined. J.D., don't get too comfortable with it. Um, things are going pretty good right now. Pretty good. Don't get too comfortable. Beware when all men speak well of you, J.D. I'm taking one for the team again. Um, I don't want you to dig your roots down too deep in the temporal soil of this fallen world, because I'm getting ready very soon, by the way, in this last hour to take you out of this world. So why don't you free yourself and let go of it? Because see, we all have this propensity to hold on tight to it. And Jesus says, do the opposite, lose it. You're trying to keep it. You're going to lose it. So lose it and you'll keep it. That's Matthew 16, 25, by the way. You know it well. And again, it's, you'll forgive me for repeating this, but it's the paradox of paradoxes. And the sooner we as God's people get comfortable, comfortable with the paradox of our faith, the better. Because see, that goes contrary to everything within our human nature, our sin nature, our Adamic nature. See, our Adamic nature wants to get all it can and can all it gets. We, we are by nature, the human nature, the sin nature is to, is to hunker down. Why are you hunkering down? I'm taking you up. Could you imagine? We've been hunkering down and then the rapture happens and, whoa, this is tough. Get down there. This one we got to get. That's not going to happen. I just wanted to use that as a, you got the point. Oh, may it never be said of us that like with Lot, they had to grab us by the hand and yank us out. No hesitancy. I, I, I've already fallen out of love with the world. By the way, I haven't only unsubscribed, unfollowed and unfriended. I blocked the world. Yeah, I block, I block it. And then I keep getting notices. You want to unblock? Nope. I don't want to unblock. Nope. Nope. Blocked. I don't want to be friends with the world. First of all, you hate my guts. Why do I want to be your friend? No, you know, actually, I, I, I've already lost my life in this world. So I suppose you could say I got nothing to lose. I've already let, let go of it. The freedom, the peace, 
because your, your investment isn't down here. I mean, okay, can I just use a car example? Why not? I like cars too. Cars and charts. Maybe I'm going to do charts about cars. I don't know. So you get a brand new car. Okay. I don't want to get a door ding. So we park it at an angle. Don't do that. Because someone's going to say, oh, <laughs> watch this. And then you get a, a ding, a scratch. Now you can park anywhere you want. You're free. We have a, I won't get rid of it. It means too much to me. There's so much sentimental value in it. A, a 2008 Honda Odyssey. I mean, bus up. No, literally, every panel has a dent in it. I'm so free with that thing. I park wherever I want. You know what's really cool about that is when people see me coming, they get out of my way. I never have a problem finding a parking spot. People say, hey, you can, you can go ahead. You can park there. I'm so free. I don't. It, 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 in fact, where thief breaks in and steal, I, I've actually contemplated this, and I know they have clinical terms for this too, but I've actually contemplated pre-writing a thank you note to a thief who steals the van. Dear thief, thank you so much. Um, it's yours. So it's really a good vehicle. Uh, I'll just, I guess, get something else. But I don't, I don't worry about it. I don't worry about someone stealing it. Take it. <laughs> you don't want to take it, but I don't worry about it. Isn't it interesting that in Matthew 6, after Jesus says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, he goes on to provide the cure for worry. Uh, do, you, do you connect those dots? Do you see the connection there? You're worried about this because that's where your investment is. If your investment's up here, no worries. The government isn't going to seize it. The IRS isn't going to take it. This isn't on YouTube and Facebook, so we're okay so far. It's, a, it's protected in heaven. No one has any access to it, and it's going to be there waiting for me. Spence said, you cannot take it with you, but you can send it ahead. It was said of, I think it was a wealthy Rockefeller when he died. The question was asked, how much did he leave? Answer, all of it. All of it. The late Larry Burkett, founder of Christian Financial Concepts, someone I was very fond of, great ministry. He said, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I'll give you a moment on that. Yeah. True. So let's close this way. Our lives in this world, maybe that trial you're in 
is being allowed by God to shake you up because you're about to be taken up. And absent that difficulty, that pain and suffering, that fiery trial, you would not long for eternity as you do now. Maybe absent that trial in your life, that trial that you brought to church today, by the way. And please know, I in no way wish to be dismissive of it. Many people who are hurting, struggling, suffering, if anything, it should have this effect. There's nothing for me here anymore. I just want to go home, Lord. I just want to go home, Lord. That's where my heart is. I long for it. Things down here are getting really bad. And I don't want to be here any longer than I have to be. Perhaps that's God's intended purpose, is to get us as His people to, of our own volition, let go of this world. Let go of this world. What is there here for you? Well, you just said it again. Now I'm just going to quit my job and drop out of school. And don't do that. You want to be a dropout for all eternity? And <laughs> no, that's, that's taking it too far. No, it matters. It's going to matter for all eternity. It's not in vain. Whatever you do, you do as unto the Lord, not as unto men. You're doing it for Him. And there's a reward for you awaiting you, no matter what you do. One last thing. Have I said one last thing yet? I haven't, right? So I get my one last thing. Before I entered the ministry and the pastorate, I had Bible studies that I did. And I deliberately disconnected them from the church so that I could have a further reach, a, a farther reach, because I wanted to reach people that I would not otherwise be able to reach if it was under the church umbrella. So I started these Bible studies in, in the business world, business Bible studies, and we had all walks of life. We had doctors and lawyers, car dealers, a lot of car dealers there. And they got saved, you know, by the way. Imagine that. I was one of them. But, and we had all these people from all different walks of life. And I, I have fond memories of those days, because as soon as I entered the ministry, it's kind of like that wall went up. Because now I'm a pastor. Do you realize that you can reach people that pastors could never hope to reach, where God has positioned you for such a time as this? Okay, one last thing. <laughs> that struggle, that trial. Um, 
Don't fight it. God has allowed it. God has allowed it. It's for your good and His glory. Once again, I'll bring it to an end the way we began and say, let's just untether ourselves from the world. Let's unfriend the world. This is the last hour of the world. And this is why we do these updates. I, all these years, I, what, what has happened? I know it's happened in my life, teaching Bible prophecy, and I've had the privilege of seeing what God's done in your life as well over the years. Bible prophecy has this effect of loosening our ever tightening grip on this world and the things of this world, because it focuses our attention on the next. When you realize that, hey, this world, as we're going to see second service, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, spoiler alert, it's dying. It's dying. It's passing away. Why would I want to invest in this? Why would I want to have my treasure down here in this? It's passing away. It's all going away. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. But eternity is forever and forever. I want to end with the gospel as we always do in the ABCs of salvation and kind of wrap it together. Just a simple explanation. The A is for acknowledge or admit that you've sinned. <laughs> That's when you realize and recognize your need for the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous not even one. No one is good. You might be good, but you'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all been born sinners, which is why we must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Romans 6.23 packages the bad news first with the good news, which is what the word gospel means. Good news. Your debt has been paid. Your penalty has been paid. You're free to go. That's what the word gospel means. What penalty? What debt? Oh, the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. And that readies me for the good news, which is the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the contrast between wage earned and gift given. He purchased us to give to us the gift. The B centrally is for believing your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, will be saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13. I love this verse. All 
who call upon the name of the Lord will, will be saved. I implore you, if you're here today and you've never believed in your heart, called upon Him, put your trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins. I implore you today, today is the day of salvation. <laughs> Do not delay and put off the most important decision of your life for eternal life. And I might be speaking to somebody watching online, today is the day of salvation. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Today's But God testimony comes from Jody Engel, who writes, Dear Pastor J.D., I never miss one of your updates. I've been listening for years. I frequently have to miss going to my church because of work obligations, so have more or less made you my pastor. I love being a part of your online congregation, and we love having you as a part of our online congregation, and look forward to meeting you in the air. We too cannot wait to meet you in the air, which I believe will be very soon. We too believe, sorry for the commentary. <laughs> I'm in total agreement here with this sister. When COVID came out, I was working a job in the service industry, and like all other companies out there in the service industry, they were forced to conform to all the ridiculous requirements and regulations being forced on those who wanted their businesses to stay open. I couldn't believe how fast the entire world fell in line with all the rules who the World Health Organization was demanding. It blew my mind how fast those plastic shields were put up at cash registers and lines were painted on the ground with six feet painted on them. Just as quickly masks were suddenly not optional when in public and those who didn't conform to these rules were shunned and demonized. I found myself in a situation where the first requirement my boss made was having to wear the mask. I have a severe case of COPD and running around a hot restaurant while trying to breathe with one of those nasty things covering my mouth was like a torture that I cannot even describe. I didn't know if he'd eventually demand we all take the shot that I knew had been developed in the pits of hell, but I wasn't going to wait and find out. The mass situation had the fingerprints of the devil all over it. I knew it was not a natural thing. God designed the human body to take in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide and being forced to breathe in your own carbon dioxide over and over would never come from God. Not to mention you were no longer able to see people's smiles and it was dehumanizing. I made the decision to quit that job and no, I didn't have another one to fall back on, but God. God has always provided for me. I may not have had millions in the bank, but I always had a roof over my head, car to drive, food in my tummy, and a family that loves me. I knew He'd provide, and He did. I am now working for one of my friends who owns a couple of adorable shops. We live in a small town in Wisconsin that is a retreat for the rich in the summer and who is also a Christian. She suddenly found herself in need of a trusted, reliable employee at the same time as I found myself in need of a job. Hmm. I love it when God does that. 
Plus, I am making as much money as I was before and do not have to comply with some ridiculous standards set up by people who hate God and His creation, humanity. Not to mention, it is such a fun job. Wait till you get to heaven. (laughs) Okay. I never had a job that I enjoy as much as I do this one. God is so good. Thank you for your uplifting sermons each week. And I am proud to call myself one of your congregants. I pray that the Lord blesses you greatly and protects you, your family and your church, all of whom I know are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's you. Sincerely, Jody Engel. And yes, you can use my name if you ever read this during one of your prophecy updates. I just did. Why don't you all stand to thank you again for your patience. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. This is a strong word today, but it's a needed strength to detach us from the attachments to this world. We're just passing through our lives but a vapor, James says. And eternity is forever. And so Lord, I just pray, especially for anyone today that's really hurting and struggling, that first and foremost, you would just encourage and strengthen their hearts. Give them a renewed hope, not in this world or the things of this world getting better or turning around. No, the blessed hope the blessed hope, our only hope, that that trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up, raptured up to meet you in the air and forever be with you, Lord. That's our only hope, is you taking us out of this dying world. So Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.